0: Together, let us pray the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians selected verses from the fifth chapter. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom brothers and sisters Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become enslaved to one another. For the holy law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Concluding with verses 22 and 23, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us stand and sing the hymn of preparation.
1: For freedom, Christ has set us free. What joy is ours to be.
2: Gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Listen with me for the word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment is the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Last week, annual conference was held at Lake Junaluska, and it was a blessing to be there. It was an energetic time of worship, business meetings, making discerning choices about ministry focus into the future, and for sure, fellowship as well. Now, for an outgoing extrovert like me, I really enjoy going to annual conference and meeting up with some of my longtime friends. After all, as an ordained elder of the United Methodist Church, My church membership is to the annual conference. It's not to the local church. So when we gather up there at Junaluska, that's church. It was a blessing to be there. And I'm so grateful to be at that tranquil, inspiring place by the lake, to be with family, to be with friends. This year, however, it was a little bit different because there were a number of churches and their leaders Who have in recent months disaffiliated from the denomination you may have heard about this maybe you have a friend or family member that goes to another church formerly within the denomination and they chose to disaffiliate maybe someone forwarded you an email or a news article about such things now it's not up to me to try to interpret or to speak on behalf of other people as to what their decision was, their rationale for wanting to disaffiliate. Though there were people who, who weren't there that we were accustomed to seeing for so many years. And I think knowing that this annual conference session would be a little bit different as a result, uh, the, the, the leaders of the conference who planned and organized everything, they wanted to make sure that our mission was clear about the love of God and the love of neighbor. And that was seen in all of the worship services and all of the business sessions and all of the conversations that were had about who we are and what it means to be faithful. The love of God and the love of neighbor. All of the worship services focused on this very theme. For example, the opening worship service The preacher was Dr. Candace Lewis. She is the president and dean of Gammon Theological Seminary, uh, the only African-American seminary within the United Methodist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. She preached an amazing sermon in which she highlighted some of the challenges that are in our way from fully loving God and loving our neighbor. On Saturday morning at the memorial service, by the way, did you know that there is a memorial service? Every year there is a special worship service that remembers and celebrates the lives of the clergy that have died over the past year, the clergy spouses as well. A moving worship service, the preacher was our outgoing district superintendent, Reverend Laura Auten. She was reflecting on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how We may not see things clearly now, dimly at best, but we are being perfected in God's love and that provides for us the capacity to have a vision of love never ending here on this existence or in eternity with God. And then peppered throughout the annual conference session, Bishop Ken Carter had opportunity to speak and to preach, but especially during the closing worship service. It was held in Stewart Auditorium, um, this beautiful facility right there by the lakeside. As everybody entered into the sanctuary, we were given this stone, and on it are three words, grace, connection, connection holiness grace connection holiness these words were galvanizing and pulling together our mission and he was preaching on this very passage from Matthew chapter 22 this text is likely one that you've heard before I'm hopeful that like any other Sunday morning we can hear the scripture with fresh ears it's a conversation that Jesus had with a, a group of people, and some were overhearing, and we're continuing to overhear the conversation. There are two groups of people that are identified talking with Jesus the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, to remind you of who these people are, the Sadducees were a somewhat small group of people, very wealthy, landowners, the upper crust of the religious society. Life was so good for them, they couldn't even imagine the possibility of there being an afterlife. It couldn't get any better, they thought. But a larger group of people were the Pharisees. And these were religious people whose goal was to follow the letter of the law as written in the Old Testament. To follow the letter of the law. And they were good at it. And not only were they good at it, but they were good at holding other people accountable for doing it as well. So Jesus had this little conversation with the Sadducees and now was put to bed. And now some of the Pharisees were hanging around and one of them, a lawyer, spoke up asking Jesus a question. And as the gospel writer tells us, the purpose of asking the question, it wasn't out of some sort of spiritual eagerness, trying to uncover the depths of God's mystery. It was to test Jesus, to test him. Now, much in the same way that it's not my place to try to guess the rationale of why some people might want to disaffiliate from the denomination, neither is it my place to guess the rationale of this Pharisee. I'm wondering, however, if his desire to test Jesus was about trying to make Jesus look awkward in a group of others as a way to discredit him. And so a question is asked, hey, Jesus, out of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? Perhaps thinking Jesus would start to backpedal and wring his hands and say something obscure like, well, all of the commandments are good ones. But instead, Jesus, with strength, replies back directly, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, commonly known as the Shema, about God's love. And how we are to receive God's love, not just to hold on to it, but to offer that love back to God with our entire selves. Everything we got, we should use that to love God. That's the greatest, says Jesus. But there's a second one that follows up on it really soon. This time, Jesus is quoting Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. As you may have heard me say before, I think that Jesus's priority on loving your neighbor as yourself brings up a very curious spiritual question that I don't think has been fully explored. What does it mean to love yourself? How is that a presupposition of Jesus in order to give us a baseline about what it means to love other people? Coming up in a few sermons, I'm going to Humbly offer a reflection on that very theme. But for right now, I want us to think more deeply about God's love being given to everybody and what we're to do with it. Jesus is making it very clear. And he's doing it in response to a Pharisee asking a question to test him. Bishop Carter made the observation this is an example of mission drift mission drift. As the word suggests, the mission ought to guide us forward, but we're tempted, aren't we, to drift off to the side? Is there ever a time that you're driving on the interstate and those dotted lines on either side of the lane are very clear? The road is going straight in front of you, but you can't help but Maybe you're losing focus. Maybe you're losing energy. Maybe you're being distracted by that thing on the side. What might it be? What might it be that causes you to drift? It seems that this Pharisee long ago was was starting to suffer from mission drift. Instead of being intently eager to understand what the Scripture says and wondering how Jesus could help him to interpret He starts asking questions to test Jesus, to undermine him. I wonder, what are ways that perhaps the church today suffers from mission drift? Our sincere hope is that we can boldly imagine the love of God poured into our lives, giving us energy and strength for the mission of loving God and loving our neighbor. Now, all the talk about love may sound a bit ushy-gushy and soft, especially when we're talking about what we receive. But there comes a time that we recognize the high stakes, the high calling that Jesus is placing upon us to love everybody. Bishop Carter made what I think is a really important observation that culture has a way of grooming us to sort ourselves according to our preferences. And these are preferences that we choose, that others choose for us, that give us labels. And we sort ourselves according to our preferences, we think, because it makes us more comfortable, provides for us the illusion of safety. Safety. Thinking, well, if I'm with people who who think like me, who talk like me, who share the same preferences as me, then I'll be okay. Everything else in the world might be chaotic, but at least I'll be okay. And as a result, those preferences have a way of dominating what we say, how we live, with whom we interact And so the call to love ought to keep us focused instead of drifting because our preferences would otherwise cause us to go off kilter. I think there are a couple of other reasons why culture today makes it awfully difficult for us to fulfill the high calling to love. Two reasons, two reasons. The first one is this. Culture exposes us to so much information, nationally and internationally, and we can't handle it all. Our brains are not designed to consume all the information that comes our way from the news. Some of us get it from scrolling on our phones, through apps, through social media, Some of us get it by sitting in front of the television watching cable news. We are exposed to so much, too much. Our brains can't absorb all of the pieces of data. Our emotional wherewithal can only carry so much. And as a result, we're left with exhaustion. Absolute exhaustion how can we make sense of even some of the things we've heard in the news just in the past few days? About 78 migrants who die in a boat crash off the coast of the Canary Islands, while around the same time, five people who were underwater explorers lost their life. And then we hear about these Wagner mercenaries in Russia how can we make sense of it all what does it mean to love god and to love neighbor with all of these stories happening i i tell you what i'm going to make a deal with you if you ever are invited to russia to go to moscow to have a peace summit with vladimir putin let's talk about that context when that happens okay But in the meantime, let's focus on right now and the people who are around us right now, your circle of influence, those people, the people you regularly see in your household, at school, at work, down the street, at the place where you go shopping. Some of these people you know awfully well. Some are just mere acquaintances, What does it mean to love those people? For starters, it means that we are purposefully saying things and doing things with a generous act of kindness for their benefit. But it also means that we're going to hold back from letting loose because we think it makes us feel better according to our preferences. Now, there's another reason why I think culture has a way of making it awfully difficult to love other people. And that's the way that there's this harsh, fierce criticism that is just lurking around the corner, ready to pounce on somebody. When somebody says or does something that's in contrast to their own preferences. You've heard it. You've seen it. I think that's holding some people back from being loving. They're wondering, what will they say about me if I'm loving toward this person? What will that person think about me? What might they say about me if I'm loving toward him or toward her? I I think that that cultural pressure is awfully heavy for so many people Yet, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, Christ has come that we might experience freedom. Freedom from the things that would hold us back from loving. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Bishop Carter, in his sermon last week, to close annual conference, made two other, I think, really important points that I want to be sure to share with you. He said that loving our neighbor is the best kind of evangelism that we got going, and it's the path to healing. When we talk about inviting other people, sharing the love of God with others so that they too can experience joy and forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life. It's done through loving relationships. You and I are called to be loving people not simply because we're checking off a box, claiming to be faithful. It's for the benefit of somebody else so that they too can be loved into the community of faith. It's the best kind of evangelism that we have love and along the way it is the path toward healing personal healing inside of us broken relationships communal fragmentation acts of love provide the capacity for us to be made whole again god is the one that makes it happen god is the one that gets all the credit Yet God is also calling us to participate, to be agents of that healing. In his sermon, Catholic Spirit, John Wesley was reflecting on the preferences that we have. And he was talking about the essential perspectives that hold together the Christian faith as well as the non-essential preferences that are on the periphery. And he makes the very strong claim in the sermon that for us to be the true universal church, we need to find a way to cooperate, to work together, to be together, even in those non-essential preferences that might otherwise cause us to sort ourselves apart from each other. It's a high calling, yet it is absolutely the way toward healing Being made whole, being brought together. Think about this. Jesus does not call us to love our preferences. Jesus does not call us to love our programs. Jesus does not call us to love our perspectives or our platforms. Jesus calls us to love people. Because you are a person who's been loved. God's love has been poured into your life, and in response, you are called to be a loving person, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Amen.